Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's P-A-C-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus repeatedly emphasizes the will of his Father in Deuteronomy that any prophet or worker of miracles who seduces people from the way, odos, in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk should be ignored or worse, put to death. Along these lines, in the story of Mark, miracles are given for the teaching. The teaching is not given for miracles. When signs and healings become the focus, as is common among contemporary Christians, we lose focus on the mission of Jesus, to walk on the path and to sow the seed of his Father's teaching as commanded. In doing so, we obstruct the teaching, even as we fawn over the teacher crying, Lord, Lord. But as Jesus demonstrates, and the apostles will eventually struggle to understand, it's not about the teacher. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 7 to 13. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 161 of the Bible as Literature podcast. We continue our journey through chapter 6 of the Gospel of Mark. And here we have once again, Richard, the emphasis on the authority of the teaching, the authority that is able to correct and cast out the spirit of false teaching. Mark is about bringing the seed to as many corners of the world as possible, as quickly as possible. Don't forget, Ephthys, immediately, immediately, immediately. The immediately in Mark is twofold. On the one hand, if you receive the teaching and are commissioned to teach, get up and go teach and keep moving, and that will be emphasized here clearly. You can't even waste time with people who rejected the teaching. You just keep moving. On the other hand, if you hear the teaching and you receive the imperative to do the commandments of God, you have to immediately do the commandments. In my book on Galatians, I talk about the importance of impulse for Torah. The idea of scripture is that you are trained repeatedly to follow the commandments until the commandments become muscle memory so that you do them on an impulse the way a mother reacts to a crying baby. You don't think about it, you just act. This is what Jesus is about. There's no time to think, there's no time to deliberate, there's no time to feel sorry for yourself or make excuses. You either teach or do what the teaching says without hesitation. It's about dropping everything and going. And he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs 
and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Now remember, unclean spirits, we're not talking about demons in red pajamas and pitchforks. These unclean spirits in the ancient world are impure ideas. Spirits are those things that manifest themselves when we act. They manifest the way our thinking is headed and the spirits are allowing us to do either good things if they're good spirits or bad things if they're bad spirits. And so over the unclean spirits means cast out those things that are motivating people to do the bad things that they're doing. And he sends them out in pairs. He doesn't send them out in threes. He sends them out in pairs because according to God's instruction, you always have to have a witness. But in this case, you're not sending a third person in case there's a dispute over what you encounter because the mission is clear and the commandments are laid out. It's black and white. You teach, 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 teach. And if it doesn't work out, move on and keep teaching, which is what Jesus has been doing. So you go in pairs, you have someone to bear witness with you and to be accountable that you did your duty and for you to hold them accountable to do their duty. But this is not a democracy. This is an assignment. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt. When it says nothing for their journey, this is the word in Greek odos, which is road or path or way. When we talk in Acts about the group being called the way, except a mere staff, it's a staff alone. So Jesus here is emphasizing how you bring the minimal amount. You bring literally that which allows you to put one foot in front of the other, a staff and sandals and one tunic, not two. You keep yourself covered and you keep yourself moving. It's reflective of Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians that you are to stay in the condition you were in when you received the teaching because once you hear the teaching, what else is there? It just occurred to me how suspiciously similar to shepherds they sound. A shepherd would bring a staff because that's what he needs for his job. He would wear sandals and a tunic, but why would he bring money or a bag He's just going out to work, and then at the end of the day, he's going to go home. But he's out there with the elements. So you're simply out there with the things that a shepherd needs, a thing to keep yourself safe from the elements, but not money and a bag in order to go and do commerce as someone would do on a normal journey, because the shepherd is the one that counts exclusively on God for their provision. Which makes it even more interesting that in subsequent Gospels, in Matthew and in Luke, the prohibition against worldly items is extended even to the staff. So you have a statement being made here about the importance of staying as you are when you receive the gospel and not being preoccupied with gold and silver and the latest model car. You don't need the latest model car to go on the road to do the mission, to follow the way. In fact, according to Jesus here in Mark, a pair of sandals and a staff is enough, but subsequent Gospels push this issue further. And interestingly, in those other Gospels, they say go to the lost sheep of Israel. They're functioning as shepherds. This passage is about a confrontation between worldly desire for things and for possessions and how that becomes an impediment to doing the work of the ministry. Now here in verse 9 he says, but to wear sandals, and he added, do not put on two tunics. Again, I think that that is a reference to materialism. Materialism, which is always combated by the image of the shepherd, who is always outside the city, who's always dependent on God. These 12 are always functioning as shepherds. And he said to them, 
Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Again, it doesn't matter where you stay. It doesn't matter what you have. And since it doesn't matter, why would you change locations once you enter a town? It's the same attitude the gospel has towards your clan, your identity, your affiliations. Whatever you are, why would you change? Once you've heard the good news, what else is there? Jesus has shunned going to houses all throughout this book because he keeps getting put into a corner when he's in a house. I think the point is ambivalence towards which house. Wherever you land, that's where you are. Relax. Don't tell me the next house is better because it's pink or blue or because of their ideology. This, to me, is a very important point because it aligns with the anti-tribalism of Jesus' confrontation with his family. And now we're going to talk more about what to do when the message is rejected the way Jesus' message was rejected by his own people. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. And I just want to say, this seals our exegesis of Jesus' return home. It's not simply that we're supposed to accept the axiom that family doesn't listen to family. That's not what this is about. That's worldly wisdom. It's non-functional for the gospel. The deeper point is that even if it's your family, there is no loyalty that trumps loyalty to the teaching. And if it is your own blood that rejects the teaching, shake the dust off your feet. Abraham did not want to receive anything from the nations. He wanted to depend completely on God. And so the testimony is that I am taking nothing from you. I came here to give, but I'm leaving without a trace of you. That only the teaching is functional, as you say, Father. I got nothing from you, even though you claim me as family. I'm offering to you the testimony. And if you reject it, that testimony is a judgment against you. This is how Paul talks about the Eucharist. You can receive it unto life or receive it unto judgment. The testimony is the testimony. It is your response to the testimony and your attitude towards the testimony that condemns you or redeems you. And it's significant that receiving and listening is the basis for their judgment. They have authority over unclean spirits. People get very excited about this. But the reason they come in is so that the people who are there listen and receive. Again, the image of the soil. Is this soil for the seed? If not, then we need to keep going to soil where the seed can actually sprout. And now we have the crown jewel of Mark, the main point of the Gospels, that undermines the fallacy of the messianic secret, which is focused on Jesus' identity, which is not the focus of Mark. In verse 12, they went out and preached that men should repent. Why is this such a big deal? Because they are doing the same thing that Jesus was doing, which means that the teaching is what is doing the work in Mark, not Jesus specifically. Because now these simple men, these fishermen, now they're doing the work of the Son of God. They're going out and carrying the message of repentance. And by the way, we know that these are compromised men who are doing this. 
it's implicit in the story because the betrayers, we talked about the names of the apostles. It's very powerful. It reminds me also of the teaching that John the Baptist was teaching that then prepared the way for Jesus. This is the way that they are preparing the soil and also sowing the seed so that the seed can take root. Which is corroborated by the fact that journey, which is the horrible translation here in the New American Standard Bible, as you said, is odos. It's the road. It's the way. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. Again, this is the disciples who are healing, not Jesus, which means that it wasn't Jesus who was doing the healing and it's not the disciples who are doing the healing. It is the teaching that is doing the healing. It is the teaching that has the authority because it is the kingly decree from the throne of the Father of Jesus. And I want to keep emphasizing this, Richard, because in a society of individuals, people don't think about the Father. They think about Jesus, and they do that because they think about themselves. Every one of us is attached. Every one of us has someone above us. That is the point that Jesus would submit to an earthly community by being attached to Mary is a big deal. That Jesus' father was not from an earthly community was a big deal because everyone in that scenario is undermined except the father who sits on his throne and issues decrees coming in power upon the thundering waters. We've been programmed, if we've been paying attention to Mark, not to get too excited about the healings and the casting out of demons because this is often a judgment against the hypocrisy of the people where they get excited about Jesus, the guy, the personality, because he's bringing the healing to them and their subsequent actions don't reflect a true faith that this word is the word of God and the entrance into the kingdom of God. So they're anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. I mean, it's great they're casting out demons. This is their bad ideas are being cast out. They're bringing in the good ideas. Fantastic. Now, when they're being anointed and healed, do they just create a big crowd who wants more healing? Or do they become like the first apostle, as we mentioned before, who had the demon that was cast out, the legion, who then became the next teacher and the next sower of the seed for his own community? So they're not trying to create healthy people. They're trying to create sowers of seed. We'll see if it actually comes to pass. But right now, all these 12 can do is just plant the seed and see what fruit comes of it. Let's think of it a different way to really emphasize your point, Richard. You have the teaching which holds this power, the authority of God the Father. When Jesus wields this power, he submits to the instruction of Deuteronomy and makes sure that the emphasis is on the teaching and not on the miracles and the healings and the wonders which put emphasis on the power of the teacher versus the teaching itself. Now the disciples have been entrusted with the same power. We see that the teaching is able to cause healing. I think the question you're raising is, will the disciples be faithful and steadfast the way Jesus is faithful and steadfast? Or will this power go to their head? Will they claim it for themselves and seek the affections of the people, which is not what Jesus did? That's the deeper question. And if we read this against Galatians, which is what we should do, because as Father Paul taught us, this is a diptych, Paul and Mark. If we read this against Galatians, 
it's clear that where Jesus was self-effacing, they are self-adorning and self-glorifying. Don't go from house to house to find the best house. Don't bring money so you can wheel and deal. Don't make deals. You just go in, create more disciples, spread seed so that there can be more fruit for the kingdom. I hate to say it, guys, and this applies to you and me also, Richard. It's not about the teacher. It's about the teaching. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. Have a great week. Thanks, you too. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.